0: The Mandy Connell Show is sponsored by Bell & Pollock Accident and Injury Lawyers.
1: Now, it's Mandy Connell on KOA, 850
0: AM and 941 FM.
2: Welcome, welcome, welcome to a Monday edition of the show. I'm your host for the next three hours, Mandy Connell. And today I'm pleased as punch to be joined by the ever effervescent Ryan Shuling. Hello again, Mandy. Back in the sidekick chair. And I so appreciate you uh, doing this again because I overdid it last week.
3: Well, you know what I love is that I was here when you first got the news that you had won the Taylor Swift tickets. And now <laughs> I'm here on Monday to reflect upon the Taylor Swift concert i saw all your photos on facebook it looked yeah. awesome
2: it it was it was so good and i i i really enjoy taylor swift but i'm not a, i'm not a hardcore swifty like right. i didn't make friendship bracelets right <laughs> my daughter on the other hand massive swifty and uh, did make friendship bracelets but i'm just going to say this about the trading of the friendship bracelets my daughter and her friends worked hours upon hours upon hours on these bracelets and then people would come up with something that they like basically threaded together that's all janky and go, hey, want to trade bracelets? My, my daughter would just very carefully cover her arm.
3: She doesn't want to downgrade. Exactly. That's it's terrible. Like
2: they spent hours upon hours. But it was the show itself was just really incredibly good. Well, and I want to
3: hear about the in-between because when I last left you, you had not spoken to Q yet and told her. No. That. How did that go?
2: Um, she came in, she was at church camp. So she came right. in from church camp and I was like, hey, um, so something cool happened at work today. <laughs> and she said what? And she's petting the dog, you know, petting leaned down petting the dog. And I said, um, they had a drawing at work and I won two tickets to see Taylor Swift. And she was like, What? Yeah. And she goes, No, see, no, that's it. not it.
3: She couldn't believe and, it.
2: Yep. And then I got the biggest hug I have gotten since puberty. Aww. Um, so hers, not mine. Um, <laughs> and we had a really, really good time together. We had a yeah. lot of fun together. And it was, and here, do you want to hear the most magical part of the Taylor Swift concert? Of course. So, since I won the tickets, I was like, Look, I'm paying for parking, I'm going to pay for parking at the stadium. And I don't even want to tell you how much that cost because oh, I that man. like, I literally had a heart attack, but. I paid for parking in a VIP section. Yeah. 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 That's how the much. A-Rod, he told yeah. Me. Yeah. <gasps> that's how much. It was a lot. But um, I paid for parking in a VIP section. I parked towards the far end, right? Towards the exit. Smart. Now my daughter walks just as fast as I do. So the show gets over. Bam, we're out. We walk around. We haul. You know what? <laughs> get in the car, and I am out of the parking lot before anybody else. I got home in Douglas County. Thirty minutes after the no show ended. No way. Yes. I've
3: heard nightmare stories I know. about traffic. And that's, after that's what raptors.
2: I told Q. I was like, "Look, here's the deal. We are going to hoof it. We are going to. We are going to be borderline <laughs> running out of here." she as tall as you? Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then almost. you got
3: those strides in your favor. Yeah, so, yeah.
2: so we that for me, I was like, "This is like Christmas in July." I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> so it, it was all in all, it was it was really outstanding, and I know why people have been so crazy to get these tickets because she is probably one of the best performers I was just gonna have seen like, in a long time
3: I heard the show uh, from our former colleague Judy went like three and a half hours with no breaks
2: three hours and 20 minutes wow. it, the only and you can call them breaks if you want to but the only breaks she had were costume Costumes, changes right. below the stage and uh-huh. the longest one was five minutes My right God. that's it the rest of the time she is on stage singing the entire time. Do
3: you think because you know, you do this for a living, you do it three hours a day, and both you and Ross have had to have this vocal cord surgery. Yeah. Do you think about that with Taylor? I mean, her performing like this almost every night on this tour. You know, the
2: thing about Taylor Swift's music, and this is where she has an advantage over someone like Adele. Let's have a music composition conversation for yes, a second. Let's Adele hits those high notes, oh, and yeah. Adele like pushes her voice in a way. That Taylor Swift, she does hit the big notes. I'm not saying she doesn't hit any big notes because that's not accurate, but generally speaking, she's not running five octaves up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, she, right. She's not, she doesn't have an eight octave voice like Mariah Carey does. Oof. And and so her voice is all in range, right? The songs are all in range. So for her, and I'm sure she has the proper you know, warm up, and I'm about to start vocal therapy, so I'll learn all this stuff too, but mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I think with her style of music and what she does, um, she's really well positioned to have a very long career. Think about Madonna. Like Madonna now at 60 sounds the same as she did at 20 because Madonna's songs, she's not hitting a ton of those like skyrocketing operatic notes. That's just not her kind of music. And Taylor Swift is the same way. She hits the big notes, but... She's not doing anything crazy with range, so mm-hmm. I think that from that perspective, she has a definite advantage over some of the other singers out there, like Adele, like Ariana Grande, and these these women that have these crazy ranges and their songs reflect that, right? So, she she just she was outstanding. I mean, the costumes were ridiculous; they were incredible, and absolutely that's, incredible.
3: That's where I would appreciate is like the production value. And yeah. What I saw with the stage and how it was designed. I mean, the biggest thing I could compare it to was I saw you two in Cleveland at Brown Stadium there, and they're great. But I mean, like you said, the costume changes. The, there was the constant. easily yeah.
2: 60 semis parked in the parking lot from her stage. <laughs> wow. Easily 60. I I did a Twitter. I I did a Twitter video that that I tagged KOA Colorado in where I just and they were all stage trucks. They were mm-hmm. every one of them were stage trucks, and it was like holy crap. They are bringing in a ton of equipment, but it was. It was really outstanding, and I heard that she's going to make like $800 million on this tour. She should. And I thought, good for her. Yeah. You know, good for her.
3: She's in demand. It's capitalism at work. I uh, love it.
2: I love she's it She's got for a her. product
3: people love. Yep. I mean, people are obsessed with. Yes. In a way that I've seen in very few performers. I was talking about this last week over on the other station, 630K. But, you know, who who does she compare to? I and mean, we had... Elvis, uh, I think, was the one that was brought to my attention around 1970 or so. Come here. The Beatles were at Red Rocks 1964. Michael Jackson came but here in the 80s. Know,
2: some, I don't know if it was you or somebody else last week that was saying, "Is it just going to be a bunch of people screaming? Yeah, right, right. a bunch of girls screaming?" Me. It was. It was not at all. It was the world's biggest sing along.
3: They were singing with everybody
2: her, yeah, right. was singing along, <laughs> but you could still hear Taylor. You could still hear the show. It yeah. wasn't like that. Uh, maybe if I'd been on the floor, it would have been a different experience, but I could still hear her perfectly. But it was it was really um, a cool vibe at the show. All these girls are all dressed up in Spangles and Sparkles. And as I said on an Instagram feed, there was more glitter there than in a Michael store. I mean, it was everywhere. And girls were decked to the nines. It was super
3: fun. And I think it, it, Robert Plant, who I had the very big privilege and honor of meeting in a very private setting that was totally unexpected... Rhythm Kitchen, Late Breakfast, Grand Rapids, Michigan. This is like 1998. But one of the things he said, and I'm sure he's not the only one, was that he knew he had made it when he shows up for a concert, he starts singing, and the fans started singing his songs, the lyrics, back to him. And that that feeling, I I can only imagine what that's like.
2: That is one of those things that I've said multiple times on the air throughout the years there are certain experiences that I am never going to have in my life ever Mm -hmm. because I don't have the talent. I don't have the ability. I'm never going to be an Olympic gymnast. Okay, that's never going to be a thing that I'm going to do. And one of the things that I would probably cut off a pinky to have the opportunity to do is be in that situation Mm -hmm. where you are standing in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of people and they are singing your song back to you. That's just got to be incredibly powerful.
3: And like I said, we were talking about it. She deserves this. There are people out there, I think, you know, they kind of engage in schadenfreude and they want to see her fail or they they resent her success. And I don't understand why. I mean, it's not my kind of music. It's not aimed at me. I'm a 48-year-old man. I'm not in her target demo. That's fine. But I see how my niece, Sonia, she's 16, reacts to this. I had her compile just a list of five songs to come back from break with over on the Dan Kaplan show for Friday. She was so excited just to do that. <laughs> and I know she's representative of, of Q and all these others that are... They're just uh, enamored with well, Taylor. You
2: know, when you have someone, she writes all of her own songs. Yeah, they're I all based that on her own life experiences, yeah. you know. So they're very relatable in terms of being a young woman, going through bad relationships. They're <laughs> all, everybody yeah. has a song uh-huh. that speaks to them, right? Yeah. Everybody has a song that's like, oh my gosh, she wrote that about me. And that's where the connection is for her. And that's where I think that, 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 that sort of connection with her audience becomes so deep and it goes so deep because she speaks and and everybody goes oh and and they played a song she plays two surprise songs she's got a set 45 songs she played 45 songs in this concert right she plays 43 at every show And then she plays two surprise songs. So the big deal is what surprise songs is she going to play? And she played one of my daughter's favorite songs as a surprise song. uh, Back to December is the name of the song. And it's just about her after a relationship ended saying I'd go back to December and I'd fix everything, right? Mm -hmm. So, But everybody just lost their minds when she started the song. And it's like, that is just, it's a very powerful connection between an artist and a music. And I'm wondering, just as a question for the audience, yeah. as we get ready to do the blog here in a minute, what, what other bands, what, what bands speak to you that way? Because there's a band called Mofro. They're famous, but they're not like super famous. They played Red Rock so many times. The first time I saw Mofro was in a bar. They were opening for my friend's band in Orlando, <laughs> right? So this was so many years ago. But they sing about Florida, and I'm a native Floridian, and they're from my part of Florida. Mm -hmm. They're from northern Florida. So when I first heard them, I was like, oh, my God, I know they they know how I feel about where I'm from. And that's a very powerful thing, especially when you're from a really weird place that nobody sings about, right? It's like you're from Michigan. People sing about Detroit all the time. They do, yeah. So I'm wondering in our listening audience, what bands do do you connect with that way? Do you have a band or an artist that you have that visceral connection with? and why. You can text us on our Centauri Health text line at 56690. Um, so I, I'm just curious. I mean, do you have any bands like that?
3: AC/DC for oh. me, but it's more of a it's a feeling, right? It's exactly what you're saying, Mandy. It's a personal feeling. It's visceral. And you react to it. And that's something that AI cannot replicate. We yeah. talked about that last week. It's something that auto-tuned the voices. You've heard it. it you can't fake it, right? Yeah. So that's why I respect Taylor Swift so much is, like you said, she writes all of her own music. She stands out because of that. It's a personal relationship with her audience. You can clearly see why she's the phenomenon she is because she stands out more now, Mandy, even more so than I would have said in 80s pop star did because yeah. a lot of them were doing the same thing but Taylor's kind of on an island.
2: She really is and and she is uh, more power to her. More yes. power to yes. her. Alright, here's what's on the blog and where you can find it go to mandysblog.com, that's mandysblog.com. Look for the headline that says Seven Seventeen Twenty Three 23 blog the Biden malaise and the Empire lyric players are back. Click on that and here are the headlines you will find within.
4: Good evening Mr. And Mrs. North and South American, all the ships and clippers at sea, let's go to press flash. <music>
2: Today on the blog, I've got another week of co hosts. Is Biden just Carter 2.0? It's time for Gilbert and Sullivan. We get a new mayor today. He's got to figure out the 16th Street Mall. Yes, allergy season has been especially bad this year. If you're going to bet stupid, you better pay up. Are you afraid of being in crowds? How to respond when you think someone is lying? The dumbest, most offensive campaign ad ever. Almost half of millennials don't understand the First Amendment. Barry Diller says overpaid stars and execs should take a pay cut. Canadian PM Justin Trudeau condescends to Muslims about LGBTQ curriculums. Commentary from the picket lines. Oops, scrolling, scrolling. Let me scroll here. Middle seat blues. Some job requirements are downright absurd. This bear knows how to party. What is a healthy resting heart rate anyway? This is highly accurate. So which are you? This roller coaster is nuts. Why millennials are struggling to buy homes explained. Five healthy afternoon habits utilized in the blue zones. The hapless Rockies beat the Yankees in dramatic fashion. Those are the headlines on the blog. Oh, wait, and norovirus caries are skyrocketing on cruise ships. Those are the headlines on the blog at mandysblog.com. So, guys, I want you to keep texting in these band names because some of them are really interesting, and I'd love to know the band Ween specifically just came up on the text line. I need that texter to tell me, what about Ween? Because I actually love Ween connects with you i'm just curious
3: going to read some of these man yeah but you know what you have designated read, me yeah. reads,
2: uh, yes i've designated yeah. ryan the the text reader because i'm trying to not talk as much <laughs> um that being said coming up right after the break we do have kim strassel coming on to talk about her new book the biden malaise mm-hmm. so um we'll do that but go ahead and read some of these
3: yeah i've gotten a couple of these billy joel because he sings about long island And that's another one, yeah. Geographically, can you relate? A visceral connection, Mandy, is the Beatles via Paul McCartney as proxy. I've never heard so many people singing along with every word. Incredible experience. Another vote here for Elton John. This one, George Strait. Saw him a few weeks ago. I'm a 27-year-old truck driver. (coughs) Sublime does it for me. Raised in the same neighborhood, and I can feel what he sings. That's from Jason. Kiss saved me from disco. Well, they should get a presidential medal of freedom hey, for that.
2: I love disco, and I'm not. A, I'm not. I'm I not do
3: embarrassed. I I was listening to ABBA yesterday, and I don't, I don't mind it. But I get what this texter is saying. I just remember I mentioned ACDC. dc There was this big push, and this is where I went to the left politically in the 80s and 90s. And Frank Zappa, I thought, was a genius, and he testified in front of Congress. There was kind of a fundamental Christian hard right that was insinuating that Kiss stand stood for kids in Satan's service. And that ACDC stood for Antichrist Devil Child.
2: And don't even get me started on Ozzy Osbourne. Another one. You know that right. was like, yeah, you're going to go straight to hell for listening to Ozzy.
3: And it's like I, I listen to AC/DC. I love the, they're good guys too. Uh, when you talk about the members of the band, they're fun. They love their fans. It's not about Satanism. I mean, they do. They talk about Hell's Bells and Highway to Hell, and it's it's I don't know. It's fun. Just don't take it too seriously. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, here's another one. I grew up in Minnesota. I think I know where this is going, near Lake Superior. I have a connection with Gordon Lightfoot, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. I was going to junior high when the ship went down.
2: That song is one of my worst earworms, so now the rest of the day, (laughs) the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Thank you, Minnesotan.
3: R.I.P. Gordon Lightfoot, too, one of my all-time favorites. Mandy is a Colorado native. I really connected with John Denver. Now John took that last name as a tribute because he loved the Rocky Mountains so much. It's not his real last name. He's a Dutch guy. Was it Dusseldorf or something like that?
2: Um, I think it is Dusseldorf, isn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah I De- believe that.
2: My husband's yelling at me because he, if he's listening, because he's a huge John Denver <laughs> fan. I so.
3: uh, got more here for Bob Seeger. That's my homeboy. Ann oh, Arbor, Michigan, Detroit. Uh, Eagles. Been to thirty-one concerts. Says this texter: Kansas Fish, the PH version. Uh, Mandy Dead and Company—they're still touring around. I saw some this is Facebook tours. Last ads. tour, last tour. They keep saying. That.
2: I know, I know, but eventually the rest of—and I don't mean to be morbid—but they're going to start dying. I I'm mean, sorry, Jerry's they, already gone. He's so. been gone
3: since '95, right? I know. Right? I know. Like yeah. yeah.
2: Do you ever see the dead?
3: No, not no, not in person. Not I my spent vibe. Like a whole
2: summer, not following the dead, but conveniently being where they were playing. I guess is the best way to put it.
3: There you go. So a lot of votes so far for Billy Joel, Eagles, couple for Kiss, Fleetwood Mac, Bob Seger. I mean, we could do a whole playlist here.
2: Exactly. Well, when we get back, Kim Strassel is going to join us. We're going to talk about her new book, The Biden Malaise. Is is Biden Jimmy Carter 2.0? I think there's an argument to be made, and I'm going to let Kim make it next. But right now, Haley May, who was also at the Tay Tay concert on Saturday. Yes, was gosh, it, it was amazing. Was, yeah, I thought it was incredible.
5: Yeah, I I think for me, someone who's been listening to her since I was in the sixth grade, to see 17 years of discography in one night, like that yeah. never happens, unless yeah, it's a, a hit show, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah. it was a genius, genius tour idea. I mean, the heiress tour, the way it was presented, absolutely outstanding. Couldn't have been better.
5: Yes. Oh, I loved it. And we've got Taylor News coming up at 1230. She made history today. We'll tell you why on KOA News Talk Sports.
2: Really, Anthony? Really, come on, it's already in my head for the rest of the day. What's also going to be in my head is a new book. See, that's called a Segway, ladies and gentlemen, Segway. And joining me now, the author of that book, Kim Strassel, her new book, The Biden Malaise. It is uh, really an indictment of the Biden economic plan, his entire administration, really comparing him to Jimmy Carter, which we all know, until now has been the worst president in the modern era. Kim, first of all, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Mandy. It is so great to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: Well, you know what? I I saw the title of your book, and then I I thought to myself, that is a perfect analogy, really perfect, that we're living through Carter 2.0. Is that kind of the point you make in the book?
0: Yes, but with one little twist. So we are living through Carter 2.0 in terms of all of the major indicators and and, and different policy fields, whether it's inflation, whether it's energy prices, whether it's spending, whether it's foreign policy and America's retreat on the national stage, whether it's crime, whether it's immigration and the border. But with this one caveat that this is unfair to Jimmy Carter. (laughs) Because
2: <laughs> I'm recovering from vocal gourd surgery. Please don't make me laugh like that again, Kim. It puts too much strain on me.
0: It is unfair. It's completely unfair to Jimmy Carter for a couple reasons. One is that, you know, Jimmy Carter inherited a lot of the problems he got. You um, know, the 1970s was global inflation already. uh We've been through an oil shock. Energy prices were already high, there was already crime in cities. Now, he didn't. Steps that made all of those situations worse, but he got dealt a very hard hand. Joe Biden got dealt an excellent hand, and he screwed it all up. And he did so despite having all the lessons of Jimmy Carter to have learned from, and all the lessons of Ronald Reagan. So, uh, more foul on him in many, many different ways.
2: Let's start economically because I know you cover a lot of different areas in the book, from energy and, and inflation and things like that. But let's start with we'll call him Bidenomics because now. Apparently, even though that that term has been used as a pejorative up until now, Biden, I guess, is embracing it as a good thing, Bidenomics. So let's start with that. What has he done to our economy?
0: Well, look at what he got handed. Um, We had a very strong economy uh, under Donald Trump. It was derailed slightly by COVID. But it was prepared to roar back. It was everything was getting ready to look perfect, but really end back in a great situation. Joe Biden, all he had to do was sit back. and and let that happen. Instead, he intervened, as you and I know, spent trillions upon trillions of dollars over the first couple of years in office, uh, pressured the Federal Reserve to keep interest rates low, uh, and landed us with inflation. Uh, At the same time, began an all-out war on American business uh, with a class of super regulators that uh, hate the very notion of a free market um, and who have larded on regulation after regulation. So he he went after the the, he uh, pumped up the the dollar supply on the one hand and uh, went after the supply side on the other. And the result, as we all know, inflation um, uh, uh, and people struggling to, to get wages that can keep up with the costs that Biden has imposed on bank accounts.
2: Now, let me ask you this, because back in the 70s when um, Jimmy Carter made his famous malaise speech uh, that many people will reference as the end of his presidency, really, um, there was a different environment in the sense that, you know, we've always had political polarization. But we were not nearly as polarized as we are right now. And it is my fear that the tribalism that we see will simply prevent certain people from voting for a, a, if there was a Reagan candidate coming out right now, like h- how do you convince people or or is there a possibility that we could kind of overcome the tribalism by
0: using the same
2: sort of message of hope that Reagan used?
0: Yeah, that is my biggest concern. You just put your finger on it. Look, the beauty of Reagan is that he was two things. He recognized the moment that Carter had created that people were demoralized, that they would lost faith in the future of the country, uh, that they didn't see a way out. He offered that sunny, optimistic uh, hope, as well as, by the way, uh, um, paired with uh, Reaganomics, which was new. Don't forget, it was exciting as well, too. It was, you know, coming out of the the Kemp, the Goldwater ideas, uh, and a real break with uh, you know Rockefeller Republicans, which were not much different than Democrats. So he did all that. I am very worried, like you said, what we need to make uh, a hay out of the same situation for conservatives to see that movement energized again is somebody in uh, this Republican field who has the ability to, to show that they have the fight, right? Because that does matter to voters, okay? Uh, and to call out some of the excesses, but to explain that they are the person that has the optimism, the vision, and the ability to pull us back together as a contrary and move on. And I, I do worry that we're not. Getting getting enough of that out there and that without real active attempt to do that by somebody who's very vivacious, that this tribalism you mentioned will continue.
2: And that's what concerns me that. And their second part of this is, is that since Reagan, uh, since the late seventies, we truly have developed a handout mentality in the United States, and it goes from corporations straight down to mom and pops who throughout COVID, I mean, if I hear one more person saying, we need another STEMI check because the the sort of economic ignorance of what that did to inflation. Like, I mean, we've way more than paid back the STEMI check in the form of inflation, and people don't make that connection. And I'm afraid that, you know, you have Biden running again on, oh, I'm going to forgive more student loans even though the Supreme Court just shot it down I'm afraid that, 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 you know, handout mentality is also going to make it difficult for a Republican who actually says, look, we've got to control spending. You know, we've got to get it under control. You're right that we need somebody who can carry that message
0: clearly. Do you see that person? Well, and and you were right about this, too. I mean, it's very worrisome. To be clear, let's, let's make clear, why did Joe Biden spend all that money that he did in those first two years? And Democrats want to restructure the United States to turn it into cradle-to-grave entitlements where the government is central to every aspect of your life. And COVID gave them the opportunity to really begin that project both yep. by giving them an excuse— to spend the money, but also by hooking people on government dollars uh, and promises. When I look at the field, what I see, I see a lot of candidates at the moment that have a lot of energy and I think could really draw people to them. But they're right now. They're all chasing the leader as it were. Everybody's trying to get Donald Trump's voters. Uh, I think that's a little bit folly because he's got a very core group of supporters that aren't going to leave him. But that's also 65 percent of the field is out there waiting to see. And that's before you count the independents that don't like Joe Biden, it's before you count the centrist Democrats that are not unhappy with Joe Biden. There's your audience right there. Um, We need people that uh, are willing to kind of define themselves as their own selves, not the kind of, you know, I'm Donald Trump, but better, but rather like, here's who I am, folks, and this is why you need to to look to me.
2: Uh, it, see, I agree with all of this, Kim, and and I'm looking—I I, I, kind of committed to not paying attention to this presidential election until after Labor Day. Well, you can—I mean, it, you get burned out, you know, when, it, when you yeah. consume it every day, all day. Plus, we're going to start to see a little more settling by the end of summer in terms of who doesn't have money and who does. But from what I've seen, I feel like without the Trump shadow— there are some very strong candidates for the the role that you're talking about, you know. Uh, I just hope that they can get out from under the shadow so they can get the media, the unearned or the, you know, the earned media that doesn't cost anything so people can hear their message. Because I think you're absolutely right. This, this president has been a disaster on so many fronts. I mean, we didn't even touch on foreign policy, if you have a second to go on that. Yeah. Um, by the way, let's
0: hope they, uh, the conservative voters understand this and that the candidates understand this, too. Because this is generational. I note in the book, the backlash to Jimmy Carter uh, and then the skills of Ronald Reagan allowed Reagan not just to win an election, but to change a generation of voters. Okay, you know, Reagan Democrats, you know what we call them today? We call them the base. (laughs) All right. He (laughs) reordered. Politics in the country, and yeah, you know, foreign policy. There's a great one right there, um, but also because of that compare contrast you're talking about. Biden has been abysmal on this. Okay, okay, small props for standing strong on Ukraine, but he's been too slow. uh He all he cares about is multilateralism. We had the extraordinary Afghanistan withdrawal. Uh, it's been humiliating on the national scene, um, and yet we also have some Republican candidates who are, I think, kind of chasing that. Trump populism saying well you know I don't really want to commit to be a world leader you know peace through strength people Um, you know let's have someone stand up and make the case that when we are strong America we have fewer conflicts we have to deal with and that then frees us up to have more time and resources to focus on our issues at home but you got to start from the position of strength.
2: Absolutely, Kim Strassel is my guest. Her book, which I put a link to on the blog, so you can buy it, is "The Biden Malaise: How America Bounces Back from Joe Biden's Dismal Repeat of the Jimmy Carter Years." Kim, so appreciate your time today, and best of luck. The book is actually coming out tomorrow, so you can go ahead and pre-order today. It's very, very simple. Uh, I know the book's going to do well, and hopefully, we can chat again in the future.
0: Thanks, Mandy, and I can't wait. It'll Thank be you. Come back. Yeah, call me anytime. I sure
2: will. Thank <laughs> you. Uh,
0: Thank that, you.
2: That is Kim. Kim Strassel, she does a great job as a journalist. We are going to, when we get back, so Friday night, Tucker Carlson had all the candidates except Trump. And the only story that came out about it was about Mike Pence. Crap in the bed on Friday night. And it was one of those things where Mike Pence made a flippant statement.
3: That's not my concern.
2: Yes, it could be, it, it might be the end of Mike Pence. We'll talk about that next.
0: See what I mean about the nice
2: range there? Such a good song. And she just played this at a piano on stage by herself.
3: Well, it's like Outstage. anything any vocal coach will tell you, you got to stay within yourself, right? Yeah. and I think you made a great point that she does that. Yep,
2: and she does it beautifully. I mean, she really does. So that, of course, Taylor Swift, back to December, that was one of the surprise songs on Saturday night. The other one was Starlight. And uh, just then we had Kimberly Strassel on right before this break, and if you missed it, she's got a new book out called The Biden Malaise, comparing Joe Biden's dismal performance to Jimmy Carter. I think it's a fair comparison at this point. Um, I'm concerned that there's not going to be a Republican that can break through and get out from under Trump's shadow because I think that, um, I've said it, I truly believe that there are too many people in this country that hate Donald Trump enough that they would vote for the idiot Joe Biden again, and that is something that cannot stand. So Friday night, there was a Tucker Carlson host, and uh, I'm going to let... Ryan, tell you a little bit what happened Friday night.
3: Well, uh, Tucker did his usual Tucker thing in that he does—he gives zero Fs and he doesn't back down from anybody. And then Mike Pence, who gets so doctrinaire about how he addresses people, I, I hate his I manner. I love his Mike affect. Pence.
2: I love oh him. Oh my God! Wait, I had the chance to interview him multiple times when I was in Kentucky because I was in Louisville, which is right, go, across right across the, river. the border, right? Yeah, and such a nice man, such a kind man. He doesn't belong in politics. He really doesn't. Hang on. hope is going to give us some audio.
1: (laughs) Vice President, have you? uh, I know you're running for president. You are distressed. You You are distressed
6: that the Ukrainians don't have enough American tanks. Every city in the United States has become much worse over the past three years. Drive around. There's not one city that's gotten better in the United States, and it's
3: visible. Our economy has degraded. The suicide rate has jumped public filth and disorder and crime have exponentially increased, and yet your concern is that the Ukrainians, a country most people can't find on a map, who've received tens of billions of U.S. tax dollars, don't have enough tanks. I think it's a fair question to ask, like, where's the concern for the United States in that?
0: Well, it's not my concern. (laughs) Tucker, I've heard that routine from you before, but that's not my concern. Wow.
2: did not go the way that he probably wanted it to go.
3: Right. And yeah. maybe they will clean it up after, but what does he mean by that? The American people and the de- decline of our cities, that's not his concern? Well, I don't understand. Thing.
2: Here's where he may have a point. The decline of American cities almost ex- exclusively can be hung on local Democratic governors. No doubt. I mean, that that's the reality. And the president and of the United States, that's what I meant. I meant mayors. Thank you. Ryan well, governors Shuling. too, though. By the way, that's Ryan Schuling sitting in for me, co-hosting Hi. with me right now. Um I think that when you look at the cities that have degraded so significantly, they are all run under complete democratic leadership. And um, I I would love to not be partisan about this, but the reality is, is that it is partisan. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that we have um, cities like Portland, cities like San Francisco, which is definitely in a death spiral now, which is such a shame because San Francisco is just, A glorious city. I mean, it it used to be one of my favorite cities in the country, hands down. wasn't even close. And now uh, they've lost like sixty percent of their businesses in downtown San Francisco. They have more fentanyl deaths every year than almost any other city in the country, and they don't seem to have a plan to fix it. Is that the is that the is that the responsibility of the president of the United States? Is it? I don't. I don't think so. So if you're talking strictly on cities. I don't think that's any president's responsibility. But you
3: talk about breaking through, and I'll make this quick because I know we got to go, Mandy, but Republicans for far too long have just abandoned the cities. They don't even run candidates anymore for a lot of these races. Andy Rougeau ran as a Republican here in Denver. He's the only one, and he did fairly well, I might add. Yep. But if we just abandon the notion, we're just going to, there's Democrats' problem. I think we need a Republican candidate who's going to say, you know what, no, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to try to win as many hearts and minds. It might be a small percentage, but I'm going to put a dent in the cities and and these voters that are constantly turning to the Democrats. And it does go back to something Donald Trump said, what, what do you have to lose? Okay. (laughs) and That's it. Give them an alternative. Yeah. Speak to it.
2: Yeah. No, but I do. I I think that that has to happen at the local level, but, but Mike Pence, let's just, do you have a fork, Ryan? Can you just (laughs) stick it in there? He's done. (laughs) Because let's face it. He does not have a magnetic personality. He does not have the kind of charisma that you have to have to run for president. You he never has. When
3: he speaks in, in this manner, it sounds like he's trying to sound like what he thinks a president should sound like rather than just sounding like himself. That's I, what I get. See, but
2: I, I think he, that's i think that's Mike Pence. Maybe you're... I really do think that's Mike Pence. I, I love the guy. I just don't think he's going to be president. It's kind of like after I saw Rand Paul in the first presidential debate in 2016, I was like, well, he's out. He came in with raccoon eyes because he wore sunglasses and no sunscreen. <laughs> like, you can't be president with raccoon and eyes. I Paul, so. And I love Rand Paul. And I love Rand. And I called his wife and said, Kelly... Why did you let him go up like Mm. that?
7: Because he doesn't listen. Anyway, Haley May, what you got coming up in the news?
0: The Mandy Connell Show is sponsored by Bell and Pollock Accident and Injury Lawyers.
1: Now it's Mandy Connell on KOA eight fifty AM
2: and
0: ninety four one FM.
2: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the second hour of the show. I am your host for the next couple of hours. I've got Ryan Schuling in here riding shotgun for me. As Woo. I was scolded by my doctor for talking too much last week, so I'm on I'm on silent treatment. The rest of the time. Now, there All was of,
3: an intermediary review, right? That you kind of had a consultation yeah. with said doctor. Yeah. What was the result of that?
2: That Well, I, I saw him on Saturday. Right. So he said, You overdid. Oh. And so
3: I. Is that him just going on what he heard? Like you said, no, no, it no. For, I don't know. I saw. sent him
2: a text on Friday and yeah. said, I just am paranoid that I'm going to redo the damage that yeah. you just fixed. I right. don't want to do this again, right? I only want to do this once. And uh, so he came in and scoped me again. They put a camera in your nose. It's actually kind of cool. Um, it's not the most comfortable thing in the world, but you actually can see your vocal cords as you talk. Like he makes me go he like that. And mm. then I can see what the vocal cords look like.
3: That feeling. You remember, did you ever get one of those swab tests for COVID? Oh, they put the this is not in? that bad. Oddly enough, bad. no, okay. because
2: they numb your nostril before you put it oh. in. It's only bad when they hit the back of your throat, <clears> throat> with the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Can't it's, even imagine. It's awesome. But he just said, you overdid. And you need to stop. And mm. so I'm stopping and I'm steaming and I'm doing everything that he told me to do. Michael Coover has now stepped in for A Rod, but I wanna talk a little bit about the new mayor, Mayor Mike Johnston, now mayor instead of mayor elect, sworn into office today, this morning. And as you just heard from Haley, there's gonna be festivities and whatnot tonight. I who who did you who did you like in that race, Ryan, and why?
3: I like Both of them, I'm not trying to cop out here and I'll give you my definitive answer, but I liked the general trend of where that election went. So we didn't get a Lisa Calderon, uh, we didn't get a Leslie Harrod, and although Mike Johnston, I think is firmly left of center, I think he's a reasonable guy, I think he's a smart guy, I think he's well-intentioned, I think he's a good guy. I heard Ross say that earlier today and I could not agree more. I like Mike Johnston, like Mike, but... I preferred Kelly Bruff because she reminded me in a lot of ways of the type of center-left Democrat that I might have voted for in the past when I lived in cities and there wasn't a Republican alternative. Right. I thought uh, she brought a common-sense business-like approach. She was very accessible to me. When I filled in for you, she came on yep. this show without hesitation. I, I texted her directly. I thought she would have been a tremendous asset. And you and I were just talking about this during the break. Again, I don't put people in silos, but I do think it would have been kind of cool for her to be the first female mayor of Denver. And I think for all the Democrats' talk, whether it's mayor or senator or governor, there hasn't been a female, any one of those yeah. here in this liberal state of Colorado. Yeah. I've had two female governors in the state of Michigan. I don't like either one of them, but it happened. We got we got a female senator, Debbie Stabenow. Yeah. So how is Michigan, which is a purple, much more purple, like reddish shade state than Colorado, more progressive when it comes to that? I It really puzzles me. So I'm not sure why it turned out that way. I think Johnston's a very good communicator. He's very well organized. He's run campaigns before. And I think that experience showed, and it's why he distanced himself a bit from Kelly, who I thought was an outstanding candidate.
2: Um, but policy-wise, I was firmly in Kelly's camp. Sure. Policy-wise, Same. I liked what she was bringing to the table. Uh, I have friends who absolutely adore Mike Johnston mm-hmm. because they say he is just a great human being. Just Agreed. a really great human being. Um, I, I said y- a couple days ago... I hope I'm wrong about his policy positions, and I hope he's right. I, I don't think what he's proposing on homelessness is going to change at all, anything at all. Um, I, I think that we're at a point now in Denver where we're going to have to aggressively force people into treatment and off the streets. Or off the streets somehow. We, we cannot allow people to live in encampments anymore. And we're going to have to aggressively do that because we have a large chunk of willfully homeless people who have no desire to beat their addiction, have no desire to get off the streets, have no desire to live any other way than the way they're living. Uh, we have so much help available for people if they want it, right? We mm-hmm. have tons of programs available for homeless people if they want it, but we have too many people that don't want it. And and until someone aggressively agree, you know, goes after that, we're going to see more of the same now again i hope i'm wrong i hope that for the city for the sake of denver you know i I hope that i am completely off and his plans are going to be wildly successful and i'm willing to hold my fire um until some of this stuff starts to unfold and we see how it's going to work or not work um but it uh, policy wise I, i just was not excited about the things he is proposing
3: Well, I think there's a lot that's traditionally liberal about him. When I say that, I mean, again, best of intentions. I think he's idealistic in that kind of traditional liberal sense. I don't view him as somebody that's uh, beholden to the hard left. I think it was either last night or the night before he was confronted by a large group of homeless people at an event, a gathering in which they were talking about this issue, which was really front and center in his campaign about what he wanted to address. And I think you're right If Johnston can strike the right note in distancing himself from the hard left, now he's not going to entirely abandon them, nor should he. I mean, it's a big part of his constituency. But facing up to them and being a a pragmatist and going with the tough love approach and saying, this is my plan, I'm going to stick to it, you got to ride with me here and see it through – I think there's the potential for him to have success, but he has to be willing to stand up to those hard left elements that I think are going to derail him, Ed, to they're your gonna, point.
2: They're going to give it their best shot.
3: But they're, and, then, and they're going to think they can have him under their thumb, and he's got to convince them otherwise and really, I think, throw the gauntlet down in terms of believing in what he's doing and why he's doing it. And in uh, and in so doing, I think the, the results I've seen, Mandy, that have effectively addressed the homeless issue, I've seen it in San Antonio, Texas. I've seen it in Lansing, Michigan, where you have faith-based organizations, yes, and the left can be uh, compatible with that if they want to be, bring them into the solution of this yep. You know, and have that be a tough love approach where you hold an individual accountable. I've talked about on this show before. My dad's a recovering alcoholic. He's been sober for about 19 years. I know how to deal with an addict. I know what they do. They obfuscate. They blame others. They won't accept responsibility. They won't change. They won't commit to that change and admit that the addiction has the power over them and not the other way around. And so, again, you make the obvious point that an addict has to be on board with their own recovery. It has to come from them.
2: Well, here's the thing, though. Um, I've read a lot about... This kind of stuff, and did you know that forced rehab meaning a judge says you're going to go to rehab and you're going to get clean, you're going to stay clean, you're going to go to prison for 10 years is as successful long term as voluntary rehab? The statistics bear that out about 50 percent. After five years, 50 percent of people who go to voluntary rehab are still sober. Fifty percent of people who went to forced rehab are still sober. So the statistics say, look, if you offer people really awful choices and say, you've broken all these laws and mm-hmm. we've arrested you 500 times and we're done with that and now you're going to prison for 10 years unless you clean up, for 50% of the people it's going to work. 50% of the people may be addicts till they die. Like, I don't know what the stat- statistics are. are not going to save everybody. Are. Exactly. And we can't because people are not going to do the right thing
3: all I the time. You can, you know, force someone into, and I think there needs to be more of this, involuntary Rehab, but you get you do that as from a place of compassion. Correct. You care about this individual. Yep. You view this person as an individual. I want you to get back on your feet. We want to get you sober. We want to get you a job. We want to got to move that football down the field. You have to have buy in at some point from the individual. But you're right. I don't think you can just rely upon their their better yep. graces. They don't know what they're doing. They're, Addicts they're are controlled a, by a, a substance.
2: Correct, and that's a big thing. I'd like to ask our our listeners um, to text us on the Centaur Health text line at 56690, oh, what do you want to see this new mayor do? It's a simple question. I, I would guess that it's going to have a lot of different answers. A lot of you are probably going to focus on crime and homelessness. I have a story on the blog today about the 16th Street Mall. Have you been down there lately? Oh, yeah. More and more businesses are like, look, we can't do this. We got down. killed by COVID, mm-hmm. and now our, our traffic is down 50% because of these renovations. This is one of those times when I think the city owes those businesses a significant amount of help to get them through this next two years. By the way, the project is already six months behind.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: Already. It's supposed to be a three-year project. It's already six months behind. But when you when you look at this, it's like I, I need him to have answers and I need him to have answers now. And that's unfortunate for him. But he's stepping into the the job that he wanted at a very precarious time for Denver. You know, it's a very precarious time for Denver. We we are headed in a direction that is not good. And if you look at what's happening in San Francisco right now, they've lost 50% of their businesses in downtown San Francisco. People are now losing value on their homes. They're selling at a loss because they can't get the same ridiculously sky-high prices that they paid. They are in a serious situation, and nobody in, in San Francisco has any clue how to stop it.
3: Well, I can start with, step one which is you don't enable addicts and you have to empower businesses this is something where you can grow that 16th street mall is a prime example in denver mandy if that succeeds then that success breeds others success and when you talk about safe injection sites which is anathema to all of it in my belief it was very encouraging for me i've heard him say it more than once that Mike Johnston is fundamentally yep. against those. Yep. It's something that Mayor Michael Hancock toyed with. He went to Vancouver, saw it, thought maybe that's a good idea. It's a horrible idea. You don't have compassion for somebody by enabling them, giving them clean needles or whatever else to say, here, go kill yourself, with but you're doing it with a clean you're, pipe you're buying, or you're needle. It, you're
2: buying death on the installment plan. That's no. what Bob Cote, the guy who started Step Denver, used to say. You're buying death on the installment plan. It, when you give people money, when you enable them to continue their addiction... And, and Mike, Michael Hancock, by the way, uh, in the last two years has come down firmly anti safe injection. I'm glad that he's evolved on that issue. He, he, uh, came down firmly like no question about it, but I, I want, I want Mike Johnston to succeed because if he, if he succeeds, Denver succeeds, he's not in my party. He, you know, he wasn't my first choice, but he's the mayor. He's the guy who's now in charge trying to figure out how to solve these problems. Um, this is kind of interesting. Somebody just sent this to the text line at 56690. Get the grifters out of the homeless issue. I think it's really, it's really tempting to look at everyone who works in the homeless industry, and let's be real, it's an industry,
7: mm-hmm.
2: and accuse them of wanting more homelessness because it keeps them in business. But I've had the opportunity to talk to people who work in the industry and that is not the motivation for these people that are trying to help people get off the streets. They they genuinely come from a place of wanting to help other people and as much as I'd love to think that we could quote solve the homeless problem. We never have to worry. That's asinine. We're always going to have people who are incapable of taking care of themselves either voluntarily or involuntarily, whether they're mentally ill And they are detached from reality, or they're addicts, and they are also detached from reality. We're always gonna have that issue. What we can hope to do is to contain it. And what's gonna be really fascinating, Ryan, is that we've got Aurora building a massive campus. Their strategy is we're gonna build a massive campus. We're gonna have all of the services in one campus. We're gonna, you know, it's basically gonna be a funnel Mm -hmm. to get everyone the services and help that they need. So we're gonna have that in Aurora. And then we're gonna have a completely different strategy in Denver. It's gonna be really interesting to see what works and what doesn't.
3: Well, there's only three options here as I see it. One, you leave the homeless to rot on the streets and be addicted to drugs and stay there and defecate on the sidewalks and you just do nothing. The other one is to, uh, your earlier point, force them into rehab whether they want to or not. And I think you can convince them. I think if you provide somebody a plan, I really believe this, and again, this isn't me just turning into Mike Johnston as a Pollyanna. I think if these individuals fear, feel like this person cares about me as a person, they want me to succeed, you know, I'm going to kind of meet them halfway here. I think there are a lot of people that if they felt that, they might be motivated to pursue rehab and to get back on their feet. And then the third option, I think this has to be enforced, those that don't, that that refuse, that are that are obstinate about it, you don't just send them back on the streets right. and continue the problem. You incarcerate them, yep. But so you give them a choice of okay, you can go to jail where you will not get access to drugs or alcohol, right. and you'll get sober that way, and you won't get the services or care. Or you can go with my Mike Johnston plan. And we're going to give you a path. We're going to give you a hand up, not a handout. We're going to give you a way up, but we need your participation in it. You right. give them those two choices, and I think you're getting a lot different results. And
2: that's that's what I've been advocating for for a very very long time because, you know, I um I've I've talked about. I have a pretty significant history of mental illness in my family and I have a cousin's child who uh, had a psychotic break at 19 and ended up living on the streets because when you are an adult, your parents can't do anything, right? They, they couldn't get, force him to get help. Nope. And he ended up dying of a heroin overdose uh, in like a flophouse motel. So mm. this isn't just me spouting off because I don't want to step over homeless people. This is me kind of looking at it from the perspective of these these people are human beings, right? They're they're humans. They're God thinks they're valuable enough that he put them on the planet, right? And so just allowing people to live in squalor and misery and and tents with no plumbing or electricity while they're pooping on the streets mm-hmm. is not compassion. And I want to hear that from Mike Johnston. Mayor Michael Hancock said it on this show, that is not compassion. Many times. I think I I think that Mayor Michael Hancock, in the last two years of his term, had a real kind of revelation. And I'm speculating, and if he wants to call in and tell me I'm wrong, that's fine. But just the way he spoke on this program, once a month he came on here, he started to realize that all these compassionate programs are the opposite Mm -hmm. of compassion, and they're not effective, and they allow people to continue with behaviors that are just terrible. Terrible.
3: It's quite a, a, a revelation that he's had if he's been able over the 12 years of his term as mayor. And I know he uh, fairly came on this program a lot. And I, I appreciate the fact that he did give you personally, Mandy, that type of access and that you were able to kind of chart his progress, so to speak, about yeah. what's realistic, what's pragmatic versus what's not fair. And then again, you're right in the interest of true compassion. You care about somebody. You're going to hold them accountable The people I care about, that's how I interact with them. You don't just throw money at a problem and hope it goes away. Because if you look at the per dollar spending on each homeless person in this city versus the per dollar that we invest, let's say in our police force
2: or education,
3: any of those completely out of whack. Money alone won't solve this problem. It's going to be effort-related. It's going to be, need to be, have a targeted focus. And like I said, they need to unite and join arms with the faith-based organizations that do this work, that are doing God's work uh, on behalf of the churches and, and the synagogues and reaching out to these homeless individuals. And again, truly being specific in a plan for recovery. And that the the goal of this, because we know a lot of homelessness, mental illness is is part of it in large part for a lot of them, but then also it's substance abuse. It's alcohol, it's drugs, it's both, it's all of the above. And you cannot, again, allow these people to destroy themselves by just succumbing to the addiction and leaving them lie in the street. And that's a great visual that you paint there, Mandy, about where this problem is because it's not just Denver. It's every Democrat-run city just about in this country right now where homelessness is out of control. And the, the liberal left position on this really is to let them alone and we're not going to intervene, we can't tell them what to do. It's not about that. It's about giving them the tools to arm them with the, the methods of recovery that are possible. And, again, I've seen it happen. And it, you're not always going to get somebody that's you know 100% on board with it But if you can articulate the plan, if you can give them options, if you make people a person feel empowered and valuable, you'll be surprised what you get.
2: And when you go to a place like Step Denver or the Other Side uh, Academy, which is another um, rehab facility here in Denver, they're staffed by former addicts. Correct. They're staffed by people who know exactly what you're going through. They know exactly how you feel. They know exactly the scams you run, the lies you tell yourself the lies you tell your family. Mm-hmm. And I think that there there should be an opportunity to say, look, we want you to be the person helping someone else. We want you to be the, the, you. we want you in this job. We want you out there spreading the message of what can be done. Read some of these text messages. We got some good text messages on this one.
3: Absolutely. Liberal Democrats don't want anything to do with good church folk. I, I think that's, unfortunately, that has been true. And I don't know why. A uh, former resident of Denver could not take it anymore. Denver is a lost cause following California down the drain. All I need for proof is the new law, no more gas-powered lawn equipment. So the two of you are living in a fantasy. Hope is lost. Well, that's a rather bleak outlook.
2: Well, you know what? I mean, I, I'm not super hopeful, but we've got a new mayor, and I have to give him an opportunity. I have to give him a chance. I agree. You know?
3: Once the homeless get their free everything, what incentive is there to leave? Okay, this is kind of central to my point, is that you don't just give them a perpetual lifeline. No, you you have consequences and a timeline on this. To explain it further, when I was in San Antonio, have you been there recently? I have
2: not, but I'm very aware of their entire program. They were campus the whole nine yards. Mm
3: -hmm. Yes. Yes. And a lot of this is faith-based. The Catholic Church is down there. They put a lot of effort in, I've talked to... Uh, some of the same initiatives in Lansing, those that are running it. And basically you get a timeline to get clean off of drugs and they'll give you food, clothing, shelter for X amount of days, a couple of months. Then you have to get out there and try to apply for a job. Now it's hard to get a job if you don't have a physical address, but they work with you through that too. And if you don't, you know, kind of follow the rules and, and complete the steps that they've given you by X amount, then you're out, and to me, and th- on the other side of that, that's where I go into the the three options here. You don't just send them right back on the street, right. reward their failure, they didn't choose to cooperate. No, okay. Well, here's jail, and you're going to be sober in there, and you're going to have X amount of time. I I firmly believe that that does more good for a person than putting them on a street in a tent city where they can do all the drugs they want, and they further uh, degrade their own physical, mental health, and those of every one of them around them.
2: Yep. So, have you toured Step Denver here? I'm not. You need to. I'll set that up. It's, they do an amazing job. And they're a replicatable system that is uh, similar to what you're talking about, where there's steps that you have to achieve. And the first thing you have to do there is get a job. First thing. Yeah. Let's talk to Haley May. And uh, we, when we get back, I want to go in a slightly different direction, but I'll tell you when we get back what that is. What do you got for me, Haley?
7: Yeah,
5: Mandy, a Colorado man paralyzed in a drive by shooting. The details at 130 on KOA News Talk Sports.
2: We're back, Ryan Shuling, sitting in with me as I continue to uh, recover from vocal cord surgery. Um, I got a couple things on the blog, so we're going to do like a little bit of a speed round in this uh, segment there, Ryan. Um, Are you afraid of being in crowds? Do you have any hesitation about being in crowds? No. See, I hate crowds, and I've hated crowds for a very long time. Um,
3: Is that agoraphobia? Is that what they call it?
2: No, agoraphobia, I think, is just the outdoors, isn't it? I don't think that's crowds necessarily. And I'm not afraid of crowds. I just don't like being jostled, you know? I don't like being in a crowd where everybody is shoulder to shoulder. I don't like that.
3: Anachlophobia.
2: Anachlophobia, And also, I have been um, verbally assaulted in a crowd when I couldn't see it coming. And uh, by someone who didn't think that the radio show was good (laughs) and that I'm a horrible person. What? Oh, yeah. You've never been verbally assaulted? Uh, outside of the studio it's happened to me multiple Uh, times they don't know who I am multiple times
3: that's that's why I like being on radio because they don't they don't necessarily know you by sight
2: yeah it's as I say to people who want to draw attention to me in public I don't like that because you don't know how everyone in the room feels about me right you assume because you think I'm awesome that everybody thinks I'm awesome when exactly the opposite is true on occasion and Um, I've had people say really nasty things to me and it just, I, I don't like it. And I don't like crowds and I don't like mm-hmm. feeling like I can't get a feeling on everything that's going on around me. Well, uh, Vince, how, do you know how to say Vince's last name? Vin, Vince Bzdeck. <laughs>
3: B- Bzdeck. Is it Bzdeck? Let's go with The that.
2: columnist for the Denver, because I I, I'm about, so yeah. embarrassed that I don't right. know how to say his last used name. You to buy a
3: vowel. I've got an extra vowel, yeah, by the way. My last go. name is Dutch. Yeah. Got an extra I if he wants it. And
2: not an FLs, if you ask me. (laughs) I'm just saying. Um, I have to look up how to spell your last name every time I type it. I'm like, dang it, Ryan. Come on. crazy. Um, He has a column uh, that came out a couple of days ago that the Gazette asked readers if they were concerned about being in crowds after the violence that marred both the Denver Nuggets victory celebration and the parade a few days later, more than half of them. Now these are self-selected, and the Denver Gazette has a more right-leaning uh, audience. Obviously, yeah. mm-hmm. they sixty point six percent said they skip some events due to safety concerns or no longer attend public events at all due to safety concerns. Well, okay,
3: l- let me reframe that then, because let's say Saturday, sure. right? You're going down to Taylor Swift. The Yankees are in town against the Rockies. So as a kind of a precursor to that, I'm looking going, maybe I won't go downtown. It's not a fear of crowds. it's a, I don't want to add to that. Right. Now, if it's something that was a destination for me, like I'm going to see Tears for Fears at Ball Arena on Thursday.
2: I cannot believe they sold out Ball Arena. That's amazing to me that Tears for Fears. I mean, I love well, Tears for Fears, but they when was the last time they had a hit? 30 years ago? Uh,
3: yeah. Yeah. M- maybe longer, but yeah. Thanks to Brad White for that, by the way. But... <laughs> You know, I'm gonna go down there, and there's probably gonna be a lot of people. And like you said, it's sold out, and I know I kind of know what I'm getting into. Right. But I will use judgment of oh, it's a little crazy, like the parade. I was here. Yeah. I was anchored here and, yeah. and covering there's, for you. Actually, there's,
2: there's the a zero percent night chance I'm going to a parade of any kind. Zero, unless I am the master of ceremonies, or I am I am the parade. What what is it, the big cheese in the parade called? Grand Marshal. Yes, thank you. You should be. I I don't like parades. What about um,
3: something like um, Taste of Chicago? You ever been to something like that? I've
2: been to many Taste of Festivals. I've been to Taste of Denver down here several times. And if I am going to something like that, let me give you an example. Saturday night, do you know what time I got to the stadium? 4 p.m.
3: Way early. 4 p.m. Wow.
2: So I could get into a merch line. And then by the time I got out of the merch line, we took the merch to the car, dropped it off, and then we were in the stadium and we were in a suite. We had no crowds.
7: That's nice. So
2: it was fantastic. I mean, it was fantastic. Right. But, you know, I am not going downtown for the for any celebratory parade. First of all, because it's not my jam. Like, it's just not something I would do. And I want there to be more room for people who love those sports teams, right? I want yeah. you as a Broncos fan or an Avs fan or a Nuggets fan or maybe someday a Rockies fan mm. to be able to go down and participate in those, in those parades. But it's just not my thing. But I don't worry about violence, per se. That's the yeah. thing. I don't worry about being shot. I was honestly more concerned about being shot when I went to see Sound of Freedom at the movie theater because I thought, here I am in a politically, unnecessarily politically charged movie because it's not a political movie at all and I I literally looked at the exit door to make sure it was closed. Hmm. The far exit door. I was like, that, you, that made me more hyper aware.
3: You went Thursday night, right? Yeah. Was your theater packed?
2: It was almost full. Out of 50, there was 10 open seats.
3: I went to the, it's the dine-in AMC over waist Aurora. Like yeah, by the yeah, yeah,
2: that's a nice theater.
3: Full room, completely packed.
2: Oh, On good. On Saturday. Good.
3: That was Saturday, yeah, full.
2: Yeah, but that, that for me, because I feel a little more caged in, right? Yeah. Like I feel a little more, and, and ultimately this is going to sound so, so fatalistic, If you're in a crowd of people and a sniper decides to take you out, there's not a damn thing you can do about it. Like the guy in Vegas, right? The guy in Vegas. By the way, we still have no idea why he did what he did. I don't believe that for a second. I I just don't. I I don't believe that we have no idea why that guy shot a bunch of people. I I don't believe we don't know who dropped cocaine in the White House. (laughs) I I just don't believe these things. These are not. I don't believe that we don't know that COVID was a lab leak. I, I don't believe these things. Uh, and so you have to kind of go about your life. Like, it'll make you crazy that's, if you think about
3: it. That's how I did, and, you know, I kind of got over the whole COVID thing pretty quickly. I, I had COVID, what was it, March, early March. It was bad, but I took Paxlovid. I was I improved every day after I started that regimen, and then I get, I've i gotten to the point, Mandy, where I'm like, if I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it, and I'm kind of, you know, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die. If today's my day, then I'm cashing in my chips, and I can't live my life a fearing this all, you know, like I can't live paranoid like that. I can't.
2: I have very a friend nice. who lost her mom. Her mom had a catastrophic aneurysm rupture, right? Like drop dead in a bank kind of thing. And when she was very young, like fifty two, and so my friend was twenty one mm-hmm. when this happened. She was in basic training, and um, her she's now almost thirty, and her attitude throughout COVID, and I just thought it was, it really helped my perspective. Was look. You only have so much time on the Big Blue Marble. Like, you can't run around in fear that it's going to be over, yeah. right? Because then you don't have a life. You don't You don't get to experience things. You don't go do things because if you live in fear, you're not living. You're not living a life. If you walk around worrying about being hit by a bus or being shot by a sniper or getting, you know, choking on food and dying, all of these things are things that I know people have died from. You want to hear a horrible story? Of course. This is terrible A guy who actually took my job after I left Florida um, at his wedding. His mother choked to death at his wedding. Is that like the worst, saddest thing you've ever heard?
3: How about that for a sign, too? Oh, my
2: God. I mean, well, I just was like, that's terrible. But bad things happen to every day. That's why never leave it on the table. If you love someone, tell them you love them. There it is. If you hate someone, get over it. Yeah, Yeah, tell your kids that you love them every day and try to be a good person so that if something does happen everyone talks about what a tragedy is rather well you know sorry about your luck
3: i occasionally encounter people who are still like paralyzed in the grip of the fear of covid and you hear about like howard stern right this is a guy that totally went into a shell like what happened to you man used to be like this libertarian devil may care i'll do whatever i want 80s and 90s guy and you turn into this just shell of yourself old man you're not going to go anywhere you're not going to do anything you're afraid of this virus I mean come on man you do what you can to protect yourself from it my dad has COPD he gets the shots that his that's his choice he still got COVID by the way and he still went on pexlovid and that worked better right and he's still around so I mean that's kind of my gauge my barometer right there is if my dad's going to live his life I sure as hell going to live mine I can't imagine going into the shell over anything. Yeah, really. I mean, you just—you're not stupid about it. You you go and 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 like you're kind of aware of your surroundings. You drive defensively. You know, maybe you avoid a a bad area of town and when there's a lot of people, like we're talking about the parade. It's not your thing, then you don't go. But you you don't just avoid everything at all costs, thinking you're going to have this 100% chance of survival. You don't have that. Not any day that you're on this planet.
2: Well, and and there are no guarantees in life. No guarantees. You could do everything right and have an aneurysm and drop dead. I mean, yeah. this, this, this that's the thing. So running around and being afraid to to leave your house just seems like a terrible, terrible way to be. And I got to tell you, young people are the most fearful people I know. It's sad. That, you're right. You're supposed to be reckless in your twenties, yeah. not like worried about you know I can't have kids because I might hurt the planet. No,
7: you should be having forty kids because you don't care about that stuff yet. <laughs>
2: Back, uh, Mandy Connell, of course, and Ryan Schuling sitting in with me today. Ryan, I don't know if you saw this story, but speaking of young people being so mm-hmm. afraid and freaked out of everything, a recent study for Newsweek found that, and I'm going to let you guess the number, okay. what percentage of millennials between mm-hmm. the ages of 25 and 34? Those are not, those are young. Those millennials. are Z's now, Those are right? Z. Those are yeah. Gen Z and millennials. Um, millennials have which, kids now. Which percent okay. of that age group? Mm-hmm favor criminal charges for people who misgender or use the wrong pronouns for other people. So what percentage of 25 to 34-year-olds favor criminal charges for using the wrong pronouns or misgendering somewhat? I'm
3: scared to guess this, but the governor of my home state is wanting to sign this into law where you would pay a fine and go to jail. I'm gonna say about sixty percent.
2: No, God bless that. That's that's way high. Forty-four percent, though, but still. Actually, relieved a little bit. Under fifty percent, but we're still at forty-four percent. This is this is an just an absolute indictment of our educational system,
3: because I think a comedy system too. (laughs) I mean, honestly, this these are the same people that are protesting against Dave Chappelle, who's a traditional liberal, by the way. And I go back, Mandy, and I watch stand-up routines like Eddie Murphy Raw or Delirious or or from the 90s and even Chappelle's show from the early 2000s making fun of everybody. It's like, get over it.
2: Well, the sad part is, is that people in the U.S. Senate, Senator Ben Cardin from Maryland, who is an attorney, uh-huh. said that, and this is a quote, if you espouse hate, you're not protected under the First Amendment.
3: D- not
2: true. That, that's Completely wrong, but that's well Howard Dean, of course he said hate speech is not protected by the First Amendment. Yes, it you guys is. this is just the yes, dumbest proposition ever. The reason we have the First Amendment is so that governor governments cannot stop people from saying nasty things about the government. That's mm-hmm. the sole reason we have the First Amendment. It's not so you can watch porn, it's not so you can go <laughs> see strippers it's so. You can say what you want about the government, and the government cannot stop you.
3: Think about that slippery slope, and that's exactly what this is, Mandy, about hate speech. What you might define as hate speech, I might not, and vice versa. What is hate speech? Define it.
2: This is what I always ask young people. Who gets to decide? Right. Who are the deciders? Because if there's a committee, I want to be on the committee. (laughs) Uh, If you give me a committee assignment, we can talk about it. But if you're just going to have random, aggrieved uh, college students being the deciders—that's a firm no-go for me.
3: Unless speech directly threatens the personal safety of an individual, which I agree that the whole libertarian thing, my, your right to whatever, swing your fist, swing ends your hands at, at, at my nose, right? That whole thing—that's where I am. Do I have a right to hurt your feelings? You're blank, damn right I do, <laughs> and you have every right to try to hurt my feelings. It's not in what? What are you talking about? Oh, you misgendered. So what? The whole misgendering thing to me is beyond dumb. It's just beyond dumb.
2: And I joke about it by saying I get misgendered all the time at drive throughs When I give my order and they're like, okay, sir, pull around. <laughs> <laughs> been so, You've been misgendered, Mandy. All the time. Press charges. Well, my favorite is when I pull up and I'm like, hello. And they're like, oh, well, if they remember. <laughs> if they even remember what they're <laughs> doing. But it, it's, you know, th- we've gone from sticks and stones can't break my there bones and is. words can never harm me to we need to... F- Pass a law that says you can't call someone by the wrong pronouns
3: no, yeah, I, I don't like where this ends. I know I mean no nobody thinks this through you, you think you're you're going to target somebody you don't like that's offending you, but guess what? This always has that boomerang effect and will always affect everyone. You don't have a constitutional right to not have your feelings hurt. I'm correct. sorry,
2: correct. toughen up buttercup. I think that was that's, that's what I was trying to say. When we get back, our friends from the Empire Lyric Players, they come in Ooh. every year. Every year, they perform and stage one Gilbert and Sullivan piece. And Gilbert and Sullivan wrote tons of operettas. And uh, they're doing Princess Ida this year. So I think it's I see time them. for our yes, them? They're here. They're yeah. all here. And they'll sing for us, Ryan. I love it. I know. I can't sing what they sing, but they'll sing for us. And it's always <laughs> fun when they come in. So they're coming up next. <laughs> but right now, Haley May is going to tell us what's coming up. Now, are you leading with the fact that Ariana Grande is getting a divorce now? Uh oh. And I thought it was forever, Haley. Yeah. I thought it was forever, too. Man, girl can't catch a break. Nope, she cannot. (laughs) Or keep a husband. Anyway, (laughs) Caddy, Caddy, sorry about that, Ariana. I love you.
5: All right. Well, from pop stars to the ocean, a Colorado boy becoming part of that rare shark bite statistic. Details at
7: 2-1-KOA News Talk Sports.
0: The Mandy Connell Show is sponsored by Bell & Pollock Accident and Injury Lawyers.
1: Now, it's Mandy Connell on KOA,
0: 850 AM and 94.1 FM. Welcome, welcome,
2: welcome to the third hour of the show. And if you've been listening to the show for a long time, you know that Dave the Intrepid was the catalyst for the first time that the Empire Lyric Players came on the show because he loves Gilbert and Sullivan. Well, Dave, he's... I was going to say he's no longer with us, but he's not dead. Oh, he's just retired. That's, good. that's very so, yeah. good. I had to think about that for a second. But um, joining me now, Jeff, Jeff, you've been in here every year. I don't know how many years we've been doing this now.
8: I think this is our third visit.
2: It is. Our, okay, so our third visit, Jeff Jablonski is the stage manager, kind of head cook and bottle washer mm-hmm. of the Empire Lyric Players. You do a little bit of everything.
8: We call that Grand Poobah. Oh, good. Grand Poobah. Yeah. Pa- do
2: you have a hat for that? We have several. Yeah, so so you need a hat if you're going to be Grand Bah. You can't just claim that with no hat. So first of all, why don't we start with who are Gilbert and Sullivan? Why are we here? What are we doing?
8: Sure. Gilbert and Sullivan were a writing pair. So one wrote the words and one wrote the music. So very much like your Rodgers and Hammerstein or your Lerner and Lowe. And uh, they were writing musical theater before musical theater existed. And that was, you know, way back, back, back in the Victorian era of, uh, you know, London. And uh, we love to celebrate these old pair of writers because they're so relevant today.
2: I was going to ask you, what, what I'm sure there were other writing teams back in the Victorian age that have n- no staying power and we don't talk about them at all. What is it about Gilbert and Sullivan that makes them so appealing for a modern audience?
8: You know, that's a great question. I, I really haven't thought about like why them yeah. and no one else and what it is. Honestly, even, even back <laughs> then, they knew they were good. Right. And everyone else knew they were good. They were the kings of of the time then. They were both knighted.
2: Oh wow, that's and pretty so, fancy. And so, so oh, you know, sit up straight. It's now. not one oh, yeah. of those
8: things where you know they discovered them after the fact. You know, and 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 we finally appreciated them after their death. They were well celebrated when they were when they were alive, and they were the kings of the kings of theater back then. So I want to go to
2: Megan because, Megan, uh, if you want to get up on that microphone, I want to ask you, you're the only dame in the room right now, which is, of course, why I chose you out. But what do you think it is? What is so appealing about the music? Um, You're doing Princess Ida this year, and we'll talk about what that show's about. But what is it? Why why are you here? Why do you like to sing this music?
5: It's very relatable. Um, A lot of the scenarios are relatable because, you know, love is something that transcends all time, but also, you know, hate, um, hilarity, (laughs) silliness. Um, rage we have um, you know a lot of tender hearted moments Um, I personally like to sing Gilbert and Sullivan because a lot of the tunes are familiar and um, you know a lot of us if we watched um, like Looney Tunes we heard a lot of the tunes (laughs) from them plus other great you know opera composers Um, so this is just you know something that I was raised with but it's very relatable.
2: Is this a full opera or is it an operetta?
8: It's operetta. Okay
2: that's what I was was, do they do full operas or are they all operettas and what's the difference?
5: So, an operetta is shorter. Right. um, And an opera has more things in it. Like sometimes they'll take um, a whole act to do a ballet.
2: More people die.
5: Yeah, more, yes, more people (laughs) typically. And operettas tend to be a little more lighthearted. Okay. um, And Gilbert and Sullivan were very lighthearted. And they were also very, um, they had no fun, um, you know, making fun of those around them, but in a very kind way.
2: Okay, unlike Simon Cowell. They were not the Simon Cowell's. Yeah, Okay, good, good. Yes. Let me ask you, what is Princess Ida about? Tell the people what they could expect when they go.
8: Sure, and I want to just add on the, the definition of an operetta also to reassure the listeners that there is dialogue. It's not just sung throughout, so there are ah. breaks where there's funny dialogue bits and, and funny actions that the, the actors will be taking place. Um, so what is Ida about is about a Prince Hilarion, who is here with us, ah, and, his, and his uh, his wife, actually, Princess Ida, were married as babies. yeah. Well, that
2: seems like a bit of an arranged marriage that went too far. A
8: little bit, yeah. So they were married as babies, but then raised in their separate kingdoms. And it starts off, our our show starts off with Princess Ida coming. She's, she's scheduled to join her husband so they can rule together. She does not show. She would much rather not be married and instead rule her female university where no men are allowed, including her husband. Ah,
2: oh, so she's got a whole no boys allowed no thing going on No boys allowed, there. Okay. including her husband. Okay, and I'm guessing Hilar- Hilarion is not happy about this.
8: Let's let us have Hilarion's uh, opinion. What do you think?
2: Hilarion is being played by Blake. Uh, Blake... Uh, is Hilarion happy about this? What how does he feel when when Princess Ida just doesn't show?
9: He is not happy. I wouldn't say he's enraged. That's more his dad's personality. Right? His dad is a very commanding uh, king who's not to be trifled with. Um, I think that for Hilarion, he's just you know he totally buys into this idea that for the past twenty years I've had a wife, and man, today I finally get to meet her. And so <laughs> he's like, he's built up and built up, and then she doesn't show up, and he's just like, what? What? He's so let down. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's in love with her, and he doesn't think there's anything weird about never having met her before.
2: I find that fascinating that he just leans in, like, you know what, I'm in love with her because she's my wife, and so that's fantastic. I'm guessing that the arc of the story includes Hilaria on what, trying to win her, woo her, or force her to come?
9: So he has a fairly brilliant idea. I don't know how much of the plot Please. I should give away. Uh, so he decides that he's going to go get her. He's going to figure out where this women's university mm-hmm. is. And uh, he's going to he's going to go with his two best friends, uh, Florian and Cyril. And they're kind of also like his bodyguards in a way. Right. Um, his body men is make what sure they call in the politics. Prince doesn't die. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they decide to just kind of try to infiltrate this castle. And uh, the, the way that they discover is the best to do that is that they find a bunch of uh, discarded women's academic robes and they're okay. like, "Hey, no men allowed, so we we dress up."
2: Now, not for nothing, you all, <laughs> well, two of you have beards. So, I'm guessing that creates a bit of an image issue when you are dressed as as a woman.
1: Well, we do mention at one point that we are indeed homely ladies. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> So, so our physical attributes
3: hold true,
2: <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. So, good cover, very yeah, I mean, good cover. <laughs> just going with the homely ladies thing. So, is this feels a little maybe? Is there a little taming of the shrew in this, and a little some like it hot in this? I mean, it's a little. I'm looking for the 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 pull throughs. Who wants to grab that?
4: I think AJ. taming of the shrew is a really good uh, is a really good comparison because Ida h- is specifically teaching an anti man philosophy. Or at least the 1870s idea of right. this um, idea of tyrant man and woman woman being of superior brain and having to put man in their place and and gain her natural spot as the ruler. Uh, so very.
2: And this comp- was written back. When was this written? Like what year do you know? Oh, yeah. It's
8: 1884.
2: Yeah. yeah. Man. That was rather prescient for some of the stuff that's happening right now.
4: It's, it's. I mean, and and clearly the Shakespeare comparison holds water because it's been we've been having this discussion about the superiorities of man versus the superiorities of women and what they do well and how they meet and how they compromise. I mean, back to Shakespeare and certainly well before the Canterbury oh, yeah. Tales or yeah, what have you. Um, so tale as old as time, you could say.
2: So without giving too much away. Uh, I feel like um, if you wanted to look it up, like, spoiler alert should be okay if it was written in the 1800s. I'm just going to throw that out there.
4: There's a full synopsis written in the program. (laughs) There you go. Once you buy a ticket, you will certainly know exactly what happens. I just want to know,
2: does Princess Ida soften? Is that, Megan? Uh, Does she soften as we go, as we see in Taming of the Shrew?
5: In a way, she does. Um, Some of the lady characters do, and then some of the lady characters don't. Um, I play the lady Psyche, and she... um, softens and wants to go out into the world but then there are others that they do want to stay at the university and... um, Lady Psyche? Yes, Lady Psyche.
2: Okay, that's fantastic. What are the other names in this show? Because Hilarion, I'm I'm thinking there's some comic overtures to your character over there, Blake. I mean, what are the other names in in this show?
8: We got... In, in, in the room with us right now are Hilarion, Cyril, and Florian, the three bros. Right. Oh, and then of the, course. Then the homely ladies. Then there are Ida's <laughs> brothers, uh, Arax, Cynthia, and uh, Guran. Yeah, great names. And their father, King Gama, and uh, Hilarion's um King Hildebrand is his father. King Hildebrand. That just
2: connotes. Very strong name. Yes. Very firm name on that. Okay, so you guys are gonna sing for us as we do every year. And as we do every year, we struggle with the microphones and the sound, but we try to make it work. Coover, get your soundboard hat on right now because we got the piano and we've got two sets of singers on these separate microphones. So what are we going to do first? So what gonna are have, you going to do? I'm not singing.
8: So we're going to have the, the three bros okay. uh, singing their entrance song when they have just infiltrated the ladies' university. Now, wait a
2: minute. Do we, are we going to hear falsetto here? you homely and have
8: low voices? Oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to hear all the things.
2: Okay, here we go. This is from Princess Ida. These are the Empire Lyric players. By the way, we have a promo code for tickets, 20% off. I put the promo code Mandy on the blog with a link to buy tickets. But this is just a little taste of what you will hear.
1: Gently,
4: gently, evidently, we are safe so far. After sailing, fence and hailing here at last we are. In this college, useful knowledge everywhere one finds. And already
1: growing steady, we've enlarged our minds. We've learned that prickly cactus has the power to attract us when we fall. When we fall. That nothing
10: man unsettles more the bed of stinging nettles, short or tall. Short
1: or tall.
4: That bulldogs feed on throttles that we don't like. Broken bottles
10: on our wall. On our wall. That spring guns breed defiance, and that is a science after all. After
4: all. A women's college, maddest folly, going. What can girls learn within these
1: walls worth
4: knowing?
1: I'll lay a crown, the princess shall decide it. I'll teach them twice as much, and half an hour outside
10: it. Hush, scoffer, ere you sound your puny thunder. List to their aims, And bow your head in wonder they intend to send a wire to the moon To the moon And they'll set the Thames on fire very soon Very soon And they learn to mix silk purses with their rigs With their rigs. From the ears of Lady Circe's piggy wigs Piggy wigs And weasels at their slumbers they trepan They trepan. To get sunbeams from cucumbers they've a plan They've a plan They've a firmly rooted notion They can cross the polar ocean and they'll find perpetual motion if they can if they can
1: these are the phenomena that every pretty domino is hoping at our university, we shall see. These are the phenomena that every pretty domino is hoping at our university, we shall see. As for fashion they'll forswear it, so they say. So they say. And the circle they will square it some fine day. Some fine day. And the fact is that they're teaching pigs to fly. To fly. And the king they'll be impeaching by and by. By and by each newly joined aspirant to the clan. To the clan. Must repudiate the tyrant known as man. Known as man. They flaunt at him and flaunt him and they do not care about him. And they're going to do without him if they can, if they can. These are the phenomena that every pretty domino is hoping at a university we shall see These are the phenomena that every pretty domino is hoping at a university we
2: not convinced that the all-lady school is going to be that productive
1: based on no. that song right there i mean come
2: on <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic and if that's indicative of the rest of the show it's obviously going to be very much a, a he she pull p- push pull type situation
8: 100 percent yeah it's now, a battle of the sexes
2: did you guys choose this because of the times we live in or did you how did you choose this particular show
8: this show is not very often done, and it's not often done, partly because of these these themes. Uh, in fact, it's actually written so that the women don't come off quite as well as the men. Of course, and I so, mean, it was Let's so you, be You're not going to so see real. this done very very often. Um, we happen to devote ourselves to doing all of them in kind of a rotation, and so this is the this is the year that it came up in rotation, and we decided to take a crack at it and see if we could put a. An interesting spin on it
2: well you know and i like i said it feels very timely i mm-hmm. mean i did just it go does. to the taylor swift concert which is all about girl power. girl power okay so um that was pretty much all girl power mm-hmm. uh so this is just the flip side of that now what is the next song that we have megan and aj so
5: this one is actually um it, it's it's the women's response it's sung by um the professor lady psyche and it's, um... I'm sorry.
2: That name <laughs> is, that makes me, the name makes me laugh because so much is implied by that, and I find it interesting that Lady Psyche is the one that wants to soften and and go along with the men. Uh,
5: eventually, for eventually. the time, but
2: for the time that it was written, there's a lot going on with that whole thing right there. I mean,
5: and she um, this this song in particular is um, it's her response to the men. It's what she has been teaching her students about men.
2: Uh, oh, so this is, now does she, uh, quick question without giving up too much, because, you know, it's only been around for a couple hundred years. Um, so does she hear, how does it come that she is responding? Does she hear them or is she just sort of responding to, to what yeah. has been said. How did that, How did it all, all come about?
4: So the the guys have entered the palace and we're sort of like joking with one another like, yeah, right, ladies, university. What could they pos- What what is this all about? Ah. Um, and she does overhear them. Uh, Florian is actually Psyche's sister. And, uh, yes, that one. Uh, <laughs> and they, they recognize each other immediately and they just sort of have to bring her in on the secret and have this sort of intellectual discourse about the merits of the university's policy of, Got it. of precluding men versus, uh, you know, Hilarion's claim to Ida as his wife. Got and it. And so they're sort of trying to convince one another intellectually of the, the merits of their, their various causes.
2: Okay, perfect, perfect. Okay, so uh, what is this this number is called? A Lady Fair of Lineage High. Okay, perfect. <laughs>
11: of lineage high was loved by an ape in the days gone by The maid was radiant as the sun, The ape was a most unsightly one. The ape was a most unsightly one, So it would not do, the scheme fell through. For the maid, when his love took formal shape, Expressed such terror at his monstrous error, That he stumbled an apology and made escape. The picture of a disconcerted ape With a view to rise in the social scale He shaved his bristles and he docked his tail he grew moustachios and he took his tub and he paid a guinea to a toilet club. He paid a guinea to a toilet club, but it would not do. The scheme fell through. For the maid was beauty's fairest queen with golden tresses like a real princess's. And he bought dress suits he crammed his feet into bright tight boots and to start in life on a brand new plan he christened himself darwinian man he christened himself darwinian man but it would not do thus game fell through for the maiden fair whom the monkey craved was a radiant baby with a brain forcing While Darwinian man Though well behaved At best He's only a monkey shaped.
1: maiden fair Whom the monkey craved Was, was a radiant being With a brain for seeing, While Darwinian man
2: Guys, I love this show. I haven't even seen it, and I love this show. When is the show, Jeff? When, when are you? Uh, when are you guys going?
8: It's July twenty first through the twenty third.
2: Okay, so one weekend only. Mm-hmm. Okay, and Empire Lyric Players. You can find a link on my blog today to buy tickets, and they've been generous enough to give us a promo code. You can get twenty percent off your ticket purchase by using the promo code Mandy, and that's all caps. We think
8: all caps and select radio ad when you're checking out. Oh, I didn't put that on the blog. I got to fix sorry. it. Sorry. Select that's okay. Select
2: radio ad, and you can get twenty percent off, guys. This is this is going to be just a really fun show, and I know that you will all. What do you say when someone is doing an operetta? Does it break a leg still or is toy toy? Toy toy. Wait, what is toy toy? I think we've talked it's, about this before, and I still don't remember.
8: You're spitting over their shoulder, and that is. Granting them good luck.
2: Wait, wait, what? We just no, came out right of
8: COVID.
5: That. You should not be spinning
2: over anyone's shoulder. That's why we say it. And okay, we don't toy toy. Do toy. It. Oh, okay, good. That's a good point. Uh thank you guys so much for coming in. Really appreciate you. And and uh every year it's always it's it's just fun to know that there are people like you who are dedicated to keeping this art form alive because Not many places perform Gilbert and Sullivan. They just don't. So cats off and and kudos and toy toy to all of you.
8: Thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Jeff. Jeff. We will uh, be back
7: after Haley May tells us what's coming up in the news in just a few minutes.
2: Ryan Truing and I will not be singing like that because I, I loved that. I did too. I love them. They come in every year. That show sounds really fun. Yes, really fun. So uh, again, put a link when um, you go to the blog today, and to get twenty percent off your ticket, just hit radio. What did you say? Radio code. Dang it, I didn't write it down. Dang it. Um, but there's a promo code area. Radio. So put radio and then put Mandy. Mandy's the code you want to put in there and we'll figure it out, get you 20% off. Are you following the SAG after after a strike? Run? I am. Like what interest level are you on this?
3: See, and it was like we were just talking about during the break. I love that we had this change of pace segment yeah. and that we celebrate the arts and humanities. I've always been very involved in that. I love going to the Shakespeare uh, Shakespeare Festival in Stratford, Ontario, Stratford mm-hmm. upon Avon. And I think we need to do more to embrace the arts. However, SAG-AFTRA, this is following on the heels of the writer's strike, yep. too. And I I know their concerns, and we've talked about them on this show with the AI and how is that going to manipulate images, voice, likeness, et cetera. And I heard Fran Drescher's complaints. It's just it's so difficult to make the average American care about the fate of an actor who's making millions of dollars. You know what I mean?
2: That is exactly right. Yeah. Because what we focus on are the stars, right? Yes. But the stars make up a fraction, fraction of the entire industry. Very good point. So it's really easy to focus on the stars. And and uh, George Clooney made, made a statement about the strike and how, you know, actors aren't paid enough and just got roasted. People are like, oh, yeah, why don't you try working at a grocery store, George Clooney, and they talk about how much money you don't make. But here's something interesting. Barry Diller has been in the media. He's the former head of Paramount, the former head of 20th Century Fox CEO. He now is with the conglomerate IAC. He was on Face the Nation yesterday. He suggested that Hollywood's top-earning actors and executives take a 25% haircut on their pay because it has gotten so distorted and Mm -hmm. the industry, and and let's be real, the industry is not on solid footing right now because they are facing competition from so many different platforms, right? right. I mean, even TikTok and YouTube are eating away at the traditional media model. So he's got a point that the industry itself is not as healthy as it should be, but listen to this. This is his quote. Mm Mm-hmm. He said, everybody's probably overpaid at the top end. The one idea I had is to say, as a good faith measure, both the executives and the most paid actors should take a 25% pay cut to try and narrow the difference between those who get highly paid and those who don't. Now, knowing what we know about Hollywood mm-hmm. and all of these celebrities are Democrats all of and them, because they're basically. for the little guy, yeah, right. how, who's going to stand up and raise his or her hand first to say, I'll take a 25% clip.
3: Are you really suggesting, Mandy, that these uh, liberal Hollywood actors are going to put literally their money where their mouths are? No. At their heart, these are cold-blooded capitalists. That's what most of Hollywood is, and I don't blame them for it. I just wish they would be honest about it. If George Clooney goes out there and he's a leading man and he makes X... He deserves X. He earned that based on his name recognition, his star profile. He doesn't know anybody else, anything. Same with Tom Cruise. But no, when, when the rubber meets the road on an issue like this, now it's time for them to put up or shut up to live by their own kind of edicts that they try to espouse about government and Republicans being evil. They're not going to do it.
2: Uh, what They're i are not gonna do it. Especially ironical, is ironical. that uh, ironical <laughs> is that George Clooney made the statement from his palace in Lake Como, Italy.
3: These people are they completely lack self awareness, most of them. Not gonna say all, but a good number. And so you're right. He does this from his palatial estate, not even thinking about the hypocrisy of the words and his actions in this. And I would like for if there's anybody that's gonna step in, you know what? The little guy, the the key grip, the gaffer, you know, these these Uh struggling actors that are waiting tables in Malibu trying to get parts and and break through. Those are the people you're talking about, Mandy, because you're right. Those types outnumber the big stars by an astronomical number. But they're eating their own. This is a liberal industry run for liberals by liberals. And the fact that they're not succeeding, what does that tell you? Their view on things is not going to work. It's falling under the weight of itself. The competing platforms, all you have to do is look at a film like Sound of Freedom and the success that it's had at the box office. You saw it. I saw it. A bunch of our listeners probably saw it. They didn't want to make that film. And they're narrowing further and further their appeal. The view of a star like George Clooney or like Tom Cruise is not what it was. Ben Shapiro made this point of Cary Grant or Ronald Reagan from the golden age of Hollywood. They're not revered in that same way. People don't look at them the same way. There's not going to be the same level of loyalty or sympathy to them because we know they're successful. And again, I don't begrudge them that.
2: But wait a minute. Also, you just mentioned kind of the the glory days of... Of um, you know, the the golden golden you know, golden time of of, of movies. Mm-hmm. But they also did not make the kind of money that these actors are making now, <laughs> really right? I mean, they no. no, they they were part of the studio system, they were all under contract, they didn't get residuals, they didn't get the back-end deals, no. they didn't get producer credits, they didn't get the stuff that they're getting now. And can you give me my audio um on my computer, please, Coover? Because I want to play this. This is Sean Gunn, who most recently has been seen in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Just listen. To, he is on the picket line. Listen to what he had to say to Bob Iger, mm-hmm. who literally has taken the Marie Antoinette stance, like, let them eat cake. <laughs> you know, that's really how he's come across. Uh-huh. But this is what Sean Gunn had to say to Bob Iger.
6: I think that when Bob Iger talks about uh, what a shame it is. He needs to uh, remember that in 1980, um, CEOs like him made 30 times what the worker, what their lowest worker was making. Now Bob Iger makes 400 times what his low, lowest worker is. And I think that's a shame, Bob. And maybe you should take a look in the mirror and, and what, ask yourself, why is that? And not only why is that, is it okay? Is it morally okay? Is it ethically okay? that you make that much more than your lowest worker? And if so, why? Why is that okay? If your response is that that's just the way business is done now, that's just the way corporations work now, well, that sucks, and that makes you a sh- person, if that's your answer.
2: You know, there's a lot going on in this, yeah. but we are reaching a tipping point in society because CEO pay has now gone well beyond, the, to the point he's making, CEO pay has has gone up astronomically across the board with a few exceptions and it certainly outstrips the gains that are made by the by the workers and this is how you get to either the rise of unions again where we see unions gaining strength because they start to point those numbers out or a revolution right this Mm -hmm. is this is how the you know revolutions get started so that point that he's making like how can you justify 400 times what your lowest paid worker. I think it's a valid question and Bob Iger and other CEOs should have to answer it. And here's the thing, you may have a valid answer. You may be able to say, look, I'm the guy who's up at night, every single night, not sleeping, trying to figure out how to run this company and keeping us going in a ditch. That's what my job is. My job never stops. You clock out when you work at Disney World. I don't get to clock out. I am on 24 seven. You could make that argument, but is it 400 times argument worth it? You see what I'm saying? I mean, it's a good point.
3: It goes to this texter's point, says, old adage in life, you don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate. Yep. Uh, That is exactly correct and true. And you can't continue the old ways of doing things. If you're sag after, if you're uh, the writers that are on strike... Things are changing, and you adapt or die. We had to do it here in radio. We don't just rely now on our terrestrial over-the-air signal for our success, the ratings, et cetera. We had to go digital. We have to put podcasts out there. Mandy does her blog. You have to find ways to reach people in the ways that they're consuming information, and that applies to entertainment as well. People are now subscribing to streamer uh, services like Mm -hmm. Hulu, like Netflix, like Amazon Prime. I'm a subscriber to all three. I predicted this, I will say, for a college project I was doing back in the 90s, that we would have a la carte media consumption, that you weren't going to be a subscriber to a cable company, that those things are going to be broken up. That is advantage consumer. So that's what they have to be thinking about here is how do we reach our fans, the consumers of this, and how do we appeal to them? I'm talking from the the writers, the actors, the screen, everybody on that side of the equation, not the executives – because how do you present value in what you do? Well,
2: the, the problem is, is that it's the executives who are making the decision on what gets greenlit and what what doesn't. You know what I'm saying? True. And all they're looking for is what they perceive to be safe money. They don't want to spend $300 million on Mission Impossible Part 1 and and not make the money back. And yet, they're allowing a subpar product to go up there and, and assuming that the people are just going to keep coming, but to your point... They need to be paying attention to what the consumers are saying. They need to be paying attention. And and let's use Sound of Freedom as an example. Channel 7 News, according to this texter, called Sound of Freedom that religious movie. (laughs) There's literally one line in the movie where he says, God's children are not for sale. And there's like three Bible verses in the whole movie. That's it. So for them to call it a religious movie says to me they haven't seen it.
3: They have alienated. I'm talking about Hollywood as the overarching they there half of the country, half of your potential audience, because you think you're holier than thou, that you stand for issues that the unwashed masses in the middle of this country don't agree with you on, you're not gonna make a movie like Sound of Freedom anymore. They have narrowed the focus, the appeal of the movies they're making. They are dictating and trying to lecture the rest of America on what our values should be, and they're only making movies that appeal to themselves. They're inculcated in this echo chamber where they all agree with one another. You wanna make money? Start making more movies like Sound of Freedom that appeal to conservative audiences. There is a a bastion of wealth waiting for you if you're willing to do that. They're not. They're not willing to do that.
2: Well, you know, because being right is better than making money. We are back. Ryan Shuling sitting in with me until, uh, well, until tomorrow, actually. Uh, gave for in tomorrow. <laughs> Got a rotating cast of characters this week as I continue to True. recover from vocal cord surgery. I feel like I've done a good job today steaming.
3: A lot of steaming. A <laughs> lot of
2: steaming today. lot See of salad dewy eating. my skin looks. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> you look great. Yeah, thank you so much for that. I have some really funny videos on the blog today that I forgot to kind of point out. One of them I kind of want to do and it's these kids sitting down and they have one of those hose sprayers that, that has a bunch of different settings. I happen to have one at home. And they call it jet roulette. They sit down and they say, okay, give me four. And the guy goes click, 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 and then they spray them in the face with whatever the jet roulette says.
3: Why would you agree <laughs> to this? It sounds like your options are bad and worse. Like,
2: well, no, if, oh, you, I got if the- you get If you shower, that's like pleasant, you know, Uh, you don't want want like center. Let's, you know, going to drill a hole through your skull.
3: Some of those settings, I think you could.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I water my plants every day on my deck Uh and Jinx, my dog, she has to have some water out of the hose. Like it just has to, or there's going to be trouble.
3: I get it. Cause Jinx is like, Hey, am I not one of your plants too? Do I not matter as much as these plants you're watering? I'm your. The dog. answer
2: kind of is no. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Only during the summer. Only during the summer. Oh, okay. But I have to put it on dribble so she doesn't make a huge mess. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, now it's time for the most exciting segment on the radio of its kind. Oh, I know this one. Of the no, day. No, first yell in the world. In the world of
3: the day. Of the there day. There
7: you
3: go. There oh. you go. Right. <laughs> I thought I got it wrong last time, no, and I no, had it right last time.
2: You had it right. Because then you I hear Nick it do it. Like, well, Nick no, did it wrong, no, like me. No, you did it fine. You oh, did it great. You, okay. you guys, it's 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 tough. Right. It's fine. You're doing a All great right. job. <laughs> um, what, what is our dad joke of the day today, please, Cooper?
6: All right, our dad joke of the day is: What do you call a pudgy psychic?
2: Um, pudgy. Psychic. An
6: clairvoyant.
2: Oh, no. that's fantastic! What is it?
6: A fortune teller. <laughs> I like mine better.
3: Fortune, <laughs> I get it. Okay. Yeah,
2: that's really funny as like well. Mine. I feel bad, but that's laughing at. I'm that. proud anyway, of myself. I came up with. What is our word of the day? All
3: right, our group? word of the day is homily. 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 That's a, a Catholic song at a mass.
2: No, it's when the it's the the priest oh, reads the, the, yeah. the verse and then he See, tells I'm, you about the verse. So yeah. It's the it's the. The preaching part,
6: the the sermon sermon, part of a Catholic uh,
3: sermon. A Catholic sermon. You're
6: definitely on the right track. A homily is a usually short talk on a religious or moral topic. Homily may also refer to an inspirational catchphrase or to a trite or stale remark. All right, then.
2: Hmm. Uh, Today's trivia question. The human heart has four chambers. The two upper chambers are known as atria. What are the lower chambers called?
3: Ventricles. I believe
2: you're right. Ventricles. The four chambers of the heart are connected via heart valves. There you go. Well done. Um, What is our Jeopardy category, please, Coover?
6: Well, since we have the Gilbert and Sullivan people in. Oh, God. The Empire (laughs) Lyrics. Oh, God. Performers. Yeah. uh, We're going with movie composers. Uh Uh-oh. All right. All right. Question number one: This Beatle gave his music in regards to Broad Street.
3: Ryan, Paul McCartney.
6: Yes. Oh,
3: jeez. Although you do need to say what is Paul? Yeah, what is, yeah. Paul McCart-
6: who is, Paul totally. is Paul McCartney? Who is Paul yeah, McCartney? Go ahead. He's a who? All right. Question number two. There's something fishy about John Williams' score for this 1975 film. Mandy,
2: yes. what is Jaws? Yeah. That is
6: correct. We are one to one. I was waiting
2: for a John Williams' question. Yeah, I'm tapped right. out after this. I got nothing.
6: All <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Bernard Herrmann scored first with Citizen Kane and last with this 76 De Niro film about a cabbie. Mandy. What is?
3: Ah,
6: yes. What is Taxi Driver? You are correct. The two to
3: one. Out of operations.
6: Right. Appropriately, this diminutive singer wrote the score for Bugsy Malone and all kids' musical. Diminutive singer,
2: I'm thinking I know who it is. But Ryan, I don't know who is enough. Elton
3: John? No.
2: Ooh, I'll I'll take Mandy, yes. who is Paul Williams.
3: You got it. Yes. Dang it. Three to nothing. No,
2: I got one. No, you you lose when you guess wrong.
3: I got Paul McCartney.
2: But then you lost because you just guessed wrong. That's terrible. It's those are Larry rules. We can't fix them.
6: Mm. All right, final question under. His uncle Alfred won an Oscar for Alexander's Ragtime Band, while he was nominated for Ragtime.
2: I got nothing on that.
6: Y'all so know who it is?
3: Do uh, we? Ryan, who is Billy Joel?
6: No, hmm. I have no clue. Think Toy Story. Toy Story, Toy Story.
2: I, I don't I know. That didn't help me at all.
6: You got a friend in me. Oh, oh Ryan, um, who is Randy Newman? Oh, Randy there you
2: go. Newman. That's right. Okay. Uh, that was a two
3: bites of the apple. That there. was a
2: good start by you, Ryan. And I then know. the wheels I've kinda flew flamed off.
3: Flamed out.
2: That's okay. That's totally a hard I'm game. A it's a hard game that I've been playing for twenty years.
3: I feel worse about myself now.
2: actually only eighteen
3: years. I was so optimistic after the Paul McCartney answer.
2: Too. Uh, well, I was optimistic and after John Williams. E
3: clairvoyant. Hello. That is very That's hilarious. funny.
2: hilarious. That's extremely funny. <laughs> or you could say, what do you call a pastry chef yes. psychic? And that would be eclairvoyant. Yeah. That's a good punchline. I thought so. You gotta figure out the right joke for it. I and know. then you're gonna have a work. Work your way right backwards there. there. I yeah. think that's
3: the way you go there.
2: Oh, no, you have to. You have to. Ryan, it's been an absolute pleasure again. Who I knows? Love it. We may do this again next week. Let's I don't do know. It. I'm just going to have to pay attention to what my doctor says and yeah. keep uh keep doing what well, he says. Well, I wish
3: you continued success in your recovery with the steaming.
2: I, I'm steamy. All, Steam I'm away. a steamy steamy host right (laughs) now that's what i do i'm trying to pull up my calendar so i can tell you if anything's already on the Oh, is it uh tomorrow we have i'm very excited there's an organization here in denver that is actually working to stop child trafficking and on the heels of sound of freedom i thought it might be interesting to touch base to see what that looks like in denver rather than just kind of talking about Central America. We're going to talk to her tomorrow as well. We will be back then. Right now, I'm going to make room because I'm sure that KOA Sports is ready to launch. Keep it right here. We'll be back tomorrow.
3: July 28th.